Is the U.S. restaurant IPO market back? Hello, this is Jonathan Mays, executive editor of Restaurant Business Magazine. And in this week's edition of A Deeper Dive, I talk with Ashish Sate, who leads the restaurant investment banking practice at BMO Capital Markets. BMO was the joint book runner for the Kura Sushi IPO. The revolving sushi chain went public this summer, the first time in four years that a U.S. restaurant chain went public in the United States through traditional means. Ashish talks about this market, why there was a drought, and whether Kura has reopened the door. We also talk about one of the craziest summers for restaurant mergers and acquisitions in a long time. Later, I talk about another deal announced this week. But first, here's Ashish Sait. Okay, I am here with Ashish Sait. Ashish, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jonathan. So uh, we saw in uh, Kura Sushi the first real uh, legitimate United States IPO in a few years. Um, what, uh, what took so long? Well, it's, uh, it's a confluence of a number of factors. So, you know, if you kind of look back a couple of years, we had this real strong string of uh, restaurant IPOs uh, that kind of lasted until about, you know, 2014, 2015, but since then, yeah, you're right. We we haven't seen uh, a true kind of uh, U.S. IPO come to market. Um, and look, I think what took a while is uh, the performance of the last round of IPOs. Um, it was unfortunate, but there were, um, you know, we can look at the stock market today and the restaurant names, and you'll see that a lot of these, you know, when they came to market, came at some pretty strong valuations performed well for a little bit, but then started to uh, face some issues, some issues uh, that are just, you know, market-driven. You know, labor has been a real issue, for example, and that's been eating up into the margins of these companies. Uh, There's also been a lot of increased competition, which is impacting, you know, the same-store sales growth of these companies. Um, And so that's uh, led to, uh, you know, the the stock price is declining and investors not being very happy. Um, But, you know, but, you know, as you look at kind of where things are today, I think you know, a lot of those factors still remain, and there is still a challenge that restaurants face when they want, if they choose to go public. Um, but I think those challenges are, are surmountable, as we, as, uh, we kind of saw with uh, the Kura Sushi IPO. Why, what, is it, um, what is it about the restaurant industry that sort of kind of feeds into the cyclical natures in the IPO market? Because... I mean, the IPO market overall was pretty healthy during that period, unless I'm mistaken. It wasn't as if, like, IPOs ground to a halt, um, and yet uh, it was really difficult for uh, anybody who would, be, who would have been interested in, in running an IPO in the restaurant industry to really go, or at least that was a perception. Uh, what, what is it about the restaurant industry that sort of ends up with this sort of scenario like this? Yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, you're looking at an industry that is uh, discretionary consumer spending, right? And uh, there's going to be cyclicality just uh, tied to the inherent nature of, the, of, of these businesses. So, uh, look, that's definitely part of the story that this is a uh, cyclical sector uh, to begin with. Um, but I think part, one other reason potentially why folks were not looking to IPO their uh, business uh, were actually, actually two, uh, two key reasons. Uh, if you look around and uh, you, uh, the string of IPOs uh, that happen are not being are not successful, uh, and, and you're looking at your own business, whether you're a private equity owner for business or a privately held business, you're looking at the markets and saying, you know, gosh, these last companies have not performed well. The stocks are trading at you no know, single-digit multiples. Uh, do I really want to, you know, 
take my company public at these valuations? Do I really want the pressure of being a public company? Uh, and some of these, uh, you know, uh, stories of these public companies were very, very, indeed very public in how they're performing and the pressures that they had. And the second part of it was just the M&A market. The M&A market has been very robust for restaurants, and you're seeing some, you know, really stellar valuations being provided to uh, some very unique brands. And uh, if you are, in fact, a uh, owner of a very unique brand, you say, well, why take the risk of the public markets? Uh, I should, I should just... Uh, sell my business or, or raise ca- capital uh, at very attractive multiples in, in the private market. Do you think that, I mean, Cura has, has had a, you know, basic, had a pretty successful um, offering, had a really, you know, and, and, and the stock has done well. Do you think that's going to sort of, I mean, do you see, do you think other restaurant operators are now and, and, and investment bankers are going to look at this and say, all right, you know, the market is there it's now more open for for more restaurants, or is it uh, uh, going to have to do a wait and see thing? Yeah, look, the, the one thing the Kura Sushi IP, uh, Sushi IPO certainly shows is that. Uh, let me back up a second. There was a belief in the market that, uh, and there were the three primary beliefs that you know I'd certainly heard from a lot of people, and 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 these. Uh, Three beliefs were the key beliefs that we actually had to challenge when uh, thinking about the Kurosushi IPO. Uh, the first one was that uh, the restaurant market is closed. Um, the second one was small companies uh, will not get investor demand, and, and the third one was small deals will not get investor demand. Um, as we think about each of those factors and, and really trying to understand, are these legitimate um, uh, concerns or, 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 or could could they be overcome with the right story? Uh, so the first one, you know, restaurants, um, the, the restaurant market is closed. I get the cyclicality of the restaurant business, but what I did not understand was um, that the restaurant market is shut because if you look at the healthcare market or if you look at uh, the t- technology market, which is pr- pretty much where the IPOs have been coming from, um, you know, not every IPO is successful. There are some ex- IPOs that are do great and others others don't so but those markets don't shut down so i'm not sure why restaurants were being held to a completely different standard when it comes to uh the ability to go public um so that's concern number one uh consume number two and i'll combine combine with concern number three small companies and small deals uh look the the, the worry there there was that you take you want to take a company public you go meet with investors and they say um, oh, this company is, is in, it's too early in its life cycle or the amount of equity that you're raising is, um, is too small. And we question those concerns as well because, you know, we certainly see a lot of small cap companies uh, going public uh, and, and, and raising small amounts of capital. And, and we knew that um, if, you, if you look, at, look around the investment community, there are, you know, tons of small cap investors. Uh, in fact, there are large cap funds, institutional funds that, in fact, have a small cap uh, investing arm. Uh, so we knew that there is an investor base out there. We just have to take the right asset to market that's going to garner their interest. Um, so you know, to, to answer your question, you, you're right. There haven't been a lot of IPOs in the last couple of years. I think there were some concerns about it. But I think what the Kurosushi IPO shows you is that there is, in fact, a demand for this kind of paper um, uh, for, for restaurant or paper in the, in the market. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the, uh, some of the things that Kurosushi had some 
to me, uh, it, it, in addition to being a, a growth chain, it's it's fairly unique in terms of its if it's if it it's the products that it sells. Its its menu is very very unique, uh, which really sort of played into it. Sort of plays into sort of the where where dining is going, but it also has this really big technology element there, and I think. Certainly, to me, investors love love technology. If you're looking forward, it seems like Kura was sort of shielded or is shielded from maybe some of the concerns that have kind of prevented um, or that have might have might have given some investors pause in looking at the restaurant industry, specifically labor. Uh, Kura has, you know, I mean, it's as it's as technologically savvy as as as, uh, as any restaurant chain out there. Um, so it really did have some some elements that that I think would certainly play well uh, today. But I mean, to me, it's it, it's if I'm you know if I'm a, a mid-sized restaurant operator and I think that um, I think that my company is is a potentially a good public uh, publicly traded restaurant chain and could do well on that particular market, I'd probably look at the Kura Sushi deal and think, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. Um... Look, uh, you know, this, the Kura Sushi IPO, what, what it shows is, yes, there is a demand, but but that doesn't mean everybody should should or, or want to go public either. This doesn't mm-hmm. mean your local sandwich shop around the corner that has 15, 20 units should consider go public. It's a case-by-case basis still. Um, the, I think what investors are really looking for are highly unique stories, whether it's the food, the concept, the, what the stores look like, the, how you engage with your consumer, how do you get your consumers to come back for a repeat visit. If you can create a mousetrap that is highly engaging with the consumer, which, which is what Kurosushi was, uh, but a highly differentiated concept, uh, that is going to be incredibly important to any IPO story. Um, uh, so, so yes, to answer your question, there was a gap, and Kurosushi went public. Uh, but this doesn't mean that everybody can go public. You still have to show a high level of differentiation, a very strong financial profile, and also a very easy, easily, easily under, uh, uh, understood path of growth. Like, how are you going to get from? Uh, wh- what are the key factors and key levers that that are available to you? to grow your business into the future. Unit growth by itself is obviously very important in any emerging growth restaurant, but but uh, but what other levers are out there for you to kind of grasp on to continue growing that business? Right, yeah. I mean, a- any investor is going to want to know what you're going to be doing, you know, where you're going to be 5, 10 years, 10, 15, 20 years down the line. Because um, theoretically, these guys are long-term investors, and that's the type of investors you want, and they want to see growth. And yeah. obviously, that's that's fairly important point. Is um, is it did 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 sort of this IPO drought in your mind sort of maybe keep some companies that might have been really good publicly traded chains um, off the top of my head? A couple. Uh, that come to mind would be someone like you know the, the breakfast chain first watch just throwing that out there or or cooper's hawk which was sold more public for more lately would would did do you think that this sort of freeze on the ipo market keeps some really good companies from the public market and instead they ended up going to another private equity group yeah no, look you're, you're absolutely right um the, the the valuations that were that we're seeing in the private markets the investor interest that we're seeing in the private markets is a 
is a uh, one of the key reasons why uh, uh, an owner of a business would would not pursue the uh, IPO markets at this time. Um, and 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 some of the names you mentioned, yeah, you're absolutely right. Those those were those were and are and are um, highly attractive businesses with very unique business models and very attractive uh, of uh, unit economics. Um, but when you know the the, the one challenge that, that you face as a, um, a company going public, and especially if you're a, a private equity-owned business, is you cannot go sell 100% of your equity in in one transaction in an IPO. You have to slowly sell down your sell down your shares and follow on offerings over time, which does expose you uh, a to uh, uh, time risk, uh, performance of the company risk, and the general e- economic environment. Uh, so you do take on those risks um, when you take your company uh, 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 public. Um, as a comp- um, on the other side, if you uh, just sell your company to another private buyer, you got to take 100% of your equity out in, 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 in one fell swoop, which is obviously very attractive. That, that certainty is very attractive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So let's let's uh, that's a good segue to the the M and A market. I I can't remember. And I've said this before now, I, I can't remember a summer in which the market for uh, restaurant chains um, uh, on the, the private acquisition side has been as filled with more interesting deals than it was this summer. Because you have, I mean, the Cooper's Hawk deal, which was, was, was fascinating. Um, you know, there was the Whataburger deal, which was, I mean, almost a once in a lifetime opportunity, uh, given, given sort of the brand loyalty that chain, uh, tends to command, uh, you have the very unique punch bowl social investment by Cracker Barrel. You have, uh, the Fox restaurant group purchased by Cheesecake Factory, um, you have had a handful of other deals that have been very, very interesting in this particular market. What What do you make of all of this of this summer? Is it uh, what What sort of led all the, the to all of this demand? Any Any sense there? Yeah, no, you know, it's, it's funny when when this year started, and and you know, I looked around and said, well, what's a market, and and what's what's uh, you know, highly attractive. It was a pretty. It was a pretty slow start to the year. There weren't a lot of exciting deals coming to market. Uh, you know, they look in the beginning of this year. Uh, we had, uh, you know, uh, Firebirds, PF Changs, Studio Movie Grill, Papa Murphy's, Payway. Right, those 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 names kind of went to market and and, and kind of got in, those transactions got announced by about June of this year. But then all of a sudden we had this onslaught of really attractive names. Uh, and kind of once-in-a-lifetime opportunities with Whataburger, Jacks, and, and Cooper's Hawk, and, and then some of the other transactions you mentioned that were, um, you know, uh, uh, definitely headline-worthy. Uh, look, I think uh, part of it is um, that, you know, there's a, there's a cycle in these investments, right? And you, folks come out, they buy a bunch of restaurants. It sometimes happens in, um, in, in, in a cluster form across different private equity firms. Uh, and then those investments cycle out, whether it's in year four, five, six, or seven. Um, and I think some of it is just, you know, the, the how, uh, you know, just how the tables turn on, on this. And, and we just had a bunch of uh, really attractive names come to market at the same time. I think uh, the other part of it is uh, people are looking out to uh, 2020 and being the election year and, and, and not wanting to take that risk on what, what the, what the, what the 
tax system is going to look like next year, what kind of market volatility uh, we're going to face with, with, with the elections, uh, upcoming elections. Um, and so I think 2019, year, uh, 2019 landed up being a really strong year for, uh, in M&A and, and certainly brands that, uh, that were marquee brands. Do you think that next year is going to be slower as a result because of, you know, because of the, you know, potential uncertainty with the election and all that other stuff? You think that'll slow things down a little? Um, look, it, it, it definitely could. It could certainly have an impact. But, you know, there will be companies that are, you know, strong uh, concepts with strong financials that for some one reason or the other just couldn't get to the market this year. And and, and they're still going to look at next year and, and say, um, you know, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, estate planning or whatever the reason might be, uh, they still would want to consider a transaction in um, 2020. Um, look, I, every year uh, it starts off and it, it feels a little bit slow and then it, it gets really busy by the middle towards the end of the end of the year. Uh, so we'll see what 2020 looks like. I think there's certainly some names um, in the sidelines that are still uh, trying to figure out what they're going to do. And, uh, and I think 2020, I expect 2020 to still be a pretty strong um, uh, MA environment. The one thing that remains true no matter, no matter what environment we're in is that um, private equity is sitting in, on a lot of dry powder. Hmm. Right? There's just a ton of capital sitting on the sidelines waiting to get deployed. Um, and that capital is available for um, marquee names like you know, the Coopers, Hawks, and Jackson, Whataburgers of the world. Uh, and there's a separate pocket for... Uh, mid-cap names, right, that, that are doing well and emerging. And then there's also a pocket available for companies that are perhaps not performing. There's just a ton of capital available uh, sitting on the sidelines just waiting to get deployed. The one other thing that we're seeing um, happen in the market is uh, you know, the effect Amazon is taking on uh, proper capital. Um, you know, look, the the retail industry, I'm not talking about restaurants, but the general retail industry uh, is in some ways uninvestable at this point, just given the amount of risk that that industry faces from, from online retailers. Uh, if you're a, if you're a, a, a senior partner uh, at a private equity firm and you're saying, gee, what, what am, you know, I've, I've spent my entire life uh, looking at retail brands uh, or retailers, um, but that sector is not investable. What, what do I do with my time? And, and how, where, do, where can I apply my skill set in under, understanding multi-unit concepts? Um, and so you look around and you say, well, there's only one, really one space left, which is restaurants, right? It shares a lot of the same uh, analysis and thought process um, and um, kind of investment thesis as a regular retailer would. Uh, but these businesses, do restaurants to some to some degree, or, or, or almost almost all of it, is, is is immune from the Amazon effect. Well, I mean, to a cer- certainly to the extent that you know Amazon isn't going to come up with a restaurant chain for for sure. But yeah, I mean, we've seen I that. Sure <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you and pretty much anybody listening to this podcast, I'd imagine. The um, I mean, but yeah, it's, it's I mean, we've seen that that impact for 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 some time as is, uh, I mean, really, if you're a consumer investor um, and you want to invest in a consumer company, I mean, there aren't really a whole lot of places that you can go outside of, you know, all of these existing technology companies um, to, to, to put your money. And, you know, restaurants are still, I, I mean, 
you know, as many as much as I talk and write about the concerns in the industry, we still see time and again uh, examples in which you can really get consumers excited about this business, and you can get get them very excited about a certain restaurant concept. I mean, the names that have gone out there. I mean, Whataburger and Cooper's Hawk are fantastic names that really get consumers very excited about. And uh, and and you know, with all of these. You know, with all, with all this private equity money out there and, you know, interest rates are still really low. I mean, you know, you can really get some, if you're a good restaurant chain, you have a really good offering, you can get that, you can generate that type of excitement, man, you can command top dollar. Yeah, I mean, look, and look what we saw with uh, names like uh, Cooper's Hawks or Jack's or Whataburger, uh, you know, each of them had a very unique um, story uh, whether it was, uh, you know, a, a differentiated revenue model or, in, in the case of Whataburger, or in a tremendous scale um, and, 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 and real estate ownership, um, or, or, or with Jack's, where you know, you've, got, you've got this really solid brand in the Southeast that can, con- that can continue to grow, and there's a lot of untapped markets still remaining for that business. Uh, uh, and at the same time, a very strong uh, real estate model. Um, and I, I think investors are looking at these businesses and saying, you know, I can I can get comfortable with this. I can get comfortable with the valuations that I'm paying for this business because I can I can see I can understand a what I'm paying for and b what my exit might look like in the, from this business uh, a couple of years down the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so if you had, you know, if you're let's say, well, let's let's actually back up. Um, on the other hand, the you know on the opposite end there, and you sort of alluded to this. There are there are a number of chains that can't even can't even hope for a, a buyer, or they end up doing having to go through a bankruptcy process. We've seen that a number of times this year, and it, it seems like to me, at least from my observation, that the you know that the the market is really bifurcated and that there are you know and if you're a good um and it's more bifurcated i think than normal so if you are a you know one of these exciting concepts you can really command some serious multiples and then on the opposite end i mean you're going for really low prices and and you you might end up running a brain you might end up going uh through a bankruptcy process just to find a buyer it, it really seems very bifurcated what's is are just investors getting picky or what's going on no i mean look you've um there is a lot of bifurcation there there's there's this is definitely a sector of haves and have nots at the moment Right. If you if you look at kind of you know where uh, same store sales are trending uh, for the broader sector, um, you know they, they've they've come up a little bit, and they, they, I think the most recent month wasn't that attractive again. Uh, and in the months that you're seeing some increase in same store sales growth, what what you're really seeing is um, st- you know still uh, declining traffic, but increasing uh, pricing to kind of offset um, some of the labor costs and and, and, and some of the commodity costs. Um, but the, that data is is typically from large uh, chain restaurants, mm-hmm. and, the, and the large chain restaurants have a uh, fundamental challenge because the consumer has moved away from those brands and is and is thinking about uh, uh, food uh, very very differently than 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 their parents did or even a generation prior did. Um, so as that consumer is moving to 
different brands, different concepts, different a different way to kind of how they treat their bodies and how, what kind of foods they eat. Uh, that has caused a real barbell approach over here where you've got a lot of these legacy restaurants which do report into the numbers that are published um, um, in journals uh, versus some of these other smaller or, or medium-sized restaurants that are whose data is not getting published, but they're actually enjoying some really strong same-store sales growth. I mean, you, a casual dining industry is a very good example of that. You know, if you if you see what the casual dining uh, sector has been doing, uh, you know, it, it's, it's been a, in a real, if you look at the same-store sales growth for that business uh, or that se- segment, uh, it's been a real challenge over the last couple mm-hmm. of years. And, and finally, we start, started to see some uh, improvement in same-store sales growth, again, driven mostly by uh, pricing. Um, so those, so the legacy guys in that segment are, are have faced some real challenges. But at the same time, there are brands within uh, casual dining that are that are doing fantastic. Uh, you know, Cooper's Hawk obviously is a great example of that. Um, you know, uh, there are there's businesses on the West Coast uh, like uh, Lazy Dog, Eureka, down in uh, Texas called Luca Tortilla. Um, and and so the, the, that gives you a real good idea about the legacy players who are feeding the data into the, the the data that gets published are having a real challenge. That's what what investors are seeing. But there are definitely the haves within that sector too that um, that, that are putting up some really strong results um, because they're offering the consumer um, uh, a different way to eat or a different way to dine or um, or just a much better customer experience. So what kind of recommendation would you have for, let's say, a small to mid-sized uh, chain that's looking for looking for some sort of exit? What would, what should, uh, you know, what are the top couple of considerations uh, or recommendations you'd have for, for these companies that are, are looking to, to, to do some sort of deal in the next year or two? Yeah, sure. I mean, look, the 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 M&A environment continues to be to be strong. I expect it to remain strong um, in, in in the medium term. So, if if folks are thinking about the business and and trying to figure out what's the next step for me, um, I think it's a it's a great time to audit your own business. And I'm not and and mm-hmm. what I mean by audit is really look inwards and see, hey, what what do you want from from this business? What do you want for yourself? Um, what, what would the next steps be for this business in terms of growth? And have an honest discussion of, uh, you know, what is the right step, next step for you? Um, if that's a conversation that is uh, uh, difficult to have uh, with yourself, then, you know, um, speak to a banker, uh, an M&A advisor, uh, who can help you see uh, the, 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 the various paths that, that you can go down and also hopefully make a recommendation about whether now is the right time for you uh, to uh, pursue a uh, exit, whether it's a uh, you know going public or, or selling your business. Um, but I think having that honest conversation with yourself up front is probably my num- always my number one recommendation. Um, what you don't want to do is um, take up your time, your organization's time, and head down a path that uh, that is not suitable for you. Um, and then I think you know always uh, know what your um, you know, have a lot of conversations, speak to a lot of different people, get a, get a lot of different ideas from different people, and 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 then make up your mind about uh, what do you think valuation is going to be, uh, what a transaction would look like, um, 
and, and it makes you hire an advisor who is going to dedicate themselves to getting the best uh, transaction possible. Sir, this was uh, fantastic. I really appreciate uh, you joining us this week on the podcast. Thank you very much, Jonathan. It's a pleasure. Earlier this week, McDonald's said it has a deal to buy Apprente, a voice-activated technology company. The burger giant also said it plans to build its presence in Silicon Valley, aiming to hire engineers and data scientists in a bid to improve the technology throughout its organization. This is the second acquisition McDonald's has made this year, following the April purchase of the drive through ordering company Dynamic Yield, and it's the third tech deal, including an investment in the mobile app company Plexure. It shows just how serious McDonald's is about applying technology into its business. The company isn't interested in buying other chains. It instead is making major investments to improve speed, particularly in the drive through where 70% of its business is generated. It will also put more pressure on its biggest competitors. Other companies will face their own pressure to adapt these sorts of technologies that McDonald's is bringing in-house. And the giant's promise to build its technology capabilities even further shows just how big the industry's arm race has become. In the future, it will pay to be a big chain or part of a big chain operating company because nobody else will be able to afford all this stuff. And that's it for this week's edition of A Deeper Dive, which, as always, was edited by Christine Cawthon. Artwork by Nico Hines and Sarah Stewart. You can find this and other episodes on our website at www.restaurantbusinessonline.com backslash article backslash podcast. You can also find them on iTunes, Google Play, and TuneIn Radio. I'm Jonathan Mays, your host and podcast producer. Thank you for listening. <laughs>